Welcome back to the Respect the Drive podcast. I'm Tedward here at Garage 42 in Acton, Massachusetts. This is where I store my automobiles and it now has room for over 200 vehicles. Yes, because we were previously storing them in Woburn, which is still active, open, and available for those of you closer to the Woburn area. But now, if you wanna have a state-of-the-art storage facility that can house over 200 cars with 47 quad stackers, a racing simulator, a lounge area, this podcast studio, well, you know where to be. So thank you to Garage42 for being the home of the Respect the Drive podcast. I'm looking out over a sea of beautiful vehicles, although I can't see a lot of them because most of them are undercover right now. Literally, they've got nice spandex black covers. Kind of sexy, honestly, if I'm thinking about it. Just the silhouettes of Porsches, Ferraris, old Mercedes, and the Team Champagne Ninjas fleet. Sorry, Team Champagne Ninjas. I'm just going to throw you in here because there is a new addition to the Team Champagne Ninjas fleet. I don't know if Pete listens to this podcast, but congratulations, Pete, on your newly acquired 991.1 Porsche 911 GT3 RS. Picked it up from Boston Motorsports, our friends over at the McGovern Auto Group. Chelsea did her best, got him in the right car. She's the she's the gal you want to go to if you're over at uh, Boston Motorsports looking for something outrageous. And of course, he bought it right before the winter. So now he has to put it away somewhere. And here it sits, safe, happy, clean. And even though we're getting snowstorms, windstorms, rainstorms, this has been the most bizarre winter so far. Uh, it's really nice to know that I'm not thinking about mice. I'm not thinking about trees. I'm not thinking about anything other than what I got to do because I don't have to go tend to my vehicles. So Garage 42 is the place to be. If you need to store your vehicles, give them a shout. We're going to get into the podcast now because it is now 2024. I have my, I don't even want to call him guest anymore because he's more of a crew co-host kind of person. One of my closest friends on this entire planet of earth, Eddie Siegel. Hello, Tom. It's nice to see you. It is nice to see you too. I'm impressed that you are 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 ambulatory, awake, alert after a long night at a Travis Scott concert, partying with 15 year olds from the Boston area. And now the FBI is probably looking into me. No, um, it wasn't that crazy, honestly. Did it you was... take your shirt off like everybody else in the crowd? No, I did not. <laughs> um, for the sake of everybody around me. <laughs> I would have loved it. I would have loved to see it. Come I'm, on. I'm honored. Um, the concert was really cool. Um, I think the the crazy thing about Travis Scott concerts versus like other concerts that I've seen there is he had this unbelievable stage. Okay. It, it went through the whole center of like the TD Garden and he basically ran up and down this thing. There was pyrotechnics going off. There was fireworks going off and the crowd was really into it. And I, I think... It goes a long way because if the crowd is motivated, then obviously Travis Scott's going to be more more motivated to try his hardest to, you know, do his act and performance better. Earlier this week, Madonna was playing the garden like she did like four shows, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I I'm thinking like that. this is nuts that like I mean, she's obviously freaking Madonna, but to, to have another person come in right after who's who's at a, a high level who can pack a, a full stadium and then have a show that's pyrotechnic and it's crazy. You guys invited me on Monday, and I knew on Monday that I was going to be too tired. I literally was like, I'm going to be tired on Friday. I was correct. This is a long week. This start to New Year's 2024 has been horrible. <laughs> I have had the worst year 
thus far. Aside from the fact that I, I, you know, it's coming up. We're getting better. I drove the 250 GT California Spider the other day. That made me happy. I drove a 94 SS or Impala SS. Ooh, I want to hear about that. That's cool. That's coming up. And, but man, I just felt like I got obliterated across the face with just like trauma after trauma after trauma, just crummy thing after crummy thing. It's been a very frustrating beginning to this year and I'm optimistic that it's going to get better. But before we get into the cars, I do want to ask you, do you have any resolutions? Is there something about this year that stands out to you as, you know, what do you want to be now? What do I want to be, <laughs> especially right now? Um, more present. I think that is something that a lot of myself and a lot of my friends have kind of lost in the last couple of years. We've been more focused on our own things. And, and you know, I, I love doing, you know, what I want to do. But I think we don't hang out nearly as much as we used to. I used to see you every single day. I mean, granted we lived together, but still, even when we didn't even live together, that, yeah. we were together a lot. And I think that's a really important thing to bring up because even when we are together, sometimes we're doing, we're preoccupied. Um, we're working. David's the most guilty yeah. of all of this. And I'm only calling him up because I want him more present with us. Mm -hmm. uh, it's tough to get your friends together sometimes in an atmosphere that's, exciting and progressing forward with like a relationship where you're actually having new experiences without just sitting around looking at your phone attempting to watch a movie where half, <laughs> half of our friends fall asleep in the first 10 minutes i think it also is twice as hard for our group in particular because all of us our work is now intertwined with what we do for fun the lines are blurred they're very blurred i'm working right now i know we're recording a podcast this yeah. is us hanging out yeah and and it's funny because you ask people who are on the outside, right? People who just look at social media. They look at what we do or, or you know, you with the all the videos, the YouTube, the podcast, David with, you know, all of his whatever he does, you know, he does so many different things. He doesn't even have to post it because we do. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then, you know, my racing thing and they're like, oh, my God, it looks like so much fun. But like on the other side of it, I mean... It's almost like you're doing it nonstop. You never have a break from it. You no. Know? I mean, I have a full-time job as well as the racing thing and all the other stuff that comes along with it. So when I'm not doing my full-time job, I'm probably doing something car-related. And it used to be fun. I mean, it still is really fun. Well, we I'm used not... to have fun because it would be, hey, I'm going to do an oil. I mean, it could be as dumb as doing an oil change where someone we comes over. We used to love that. It was great. Um, if someone told me that they were doing an oil change, they'd be like, great, call me later. We'll go out to dinner. Yeah. I'm not helping you do an oil change anymore. You know, granted. <laughs> maybe I should. Maybe we should be doing more of that. Granted, we have gotten a lot older and maybe more mature. I think I'm sending my cars to the dealer at this point but anyway. But <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, I think, I think I've gotten to the point where not only can I afford to, but I choose not to work on my car as much as I used to. And it's not because I don't like to. I love wrenching. It's fun. There's a place for it. But my time is way more valuable than it was 10 years ago. What I found, though... Oh, here comes... Yeah, you come in. Come on in. There's our buddy David. How you doing? Uh, oh, hello. Oh, nice. You put the record sign on outside. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's the stuff. No, I always forget legit. that. We've got a proper little red record sign on the outside. I like that. I like the idea that you interrupted the record to put on the record sign to tell people not to interrupt the record. That's top stuff. Oh, I was 
<laughs> so it's quiet as an elephant. What's funny that you mentioned this about about not have or paying other people to do the work or just because you don't want to do it or it's not part it's not fun my my boyfriend is significantly younger than me um you know he's in his early 20s and he is a DIYer he's a he's a fix it all he's really good at 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 taking care of his own things he's really good at having a broken item whether it's a stereo an espresso machine a car and and finding the parts, whether it's at a junkyard or on Facebook Marketplace, because he's like, I, 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 I hate it when he's on Facebook Marketplace because he is like me when I was addicted to Craigslist. But <laughs> he's really good at that. And I I forgot how much fun it can be to just work on a car. We did we did some work on his Volvo. He has a C30. And we spent you know three, four hours in his driveway just tearing it apart and replace. I don't even remember what we replaced. Honestly, I don't remember. It was some thing, whatever. It took a while to get to. We replaced it. I, we had so much fun. Now, granted, I did very little of the work. I was moral support and I was handing some tools. Mm. And he was, you know, like elbow and shoulder deep into this Volvo, getting all greasy and making making it happen. But I forgot how much fun that was. And I forgot how much fun it was when we used to do that at what we call old Renscott. Because when David started Renscott, there was this uh, wild little rented uh, building, and it was just uh, uh, enough for an office, a CNC machine, and a lift. And there was, you know, there's space for other stuff in there. We had, we stored a lot of tires in that place. But we used to do like my brakes and your brakes, and you know, it was just okay. David's working. We're just going to get on the lift and work yeah. on our cars. But then it was entertaining. That was the fun. Yeah, and, we used to get. The, the enjoyment was going there, getting all together and working on the cars or, or just hanging out while the other people were working and you would lend a hand if you needed it. And that was really fun. So maybe we need to find ways to... I mean, I guess we do that at the track because the track does lend itself to yeah. on-site repairs occasionally. But yeah, maybe there is something to that. But I like the idea that you're trying to be more present. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I just want to reiterate what I just said previously about my time being too valuable. I'm not talking about in a monetary sense because realistically, if I had to put a, pr a value on time, that is sort of where it's really important to me because we're only here once it's in this true. life. And something that I realized a couple years ago was I was spending, you know, I, I want to go with 10 hours working on a car or driving the, you know, Underneath it, the old Civic, the 8th Gen, I was underneath that thing weekly, fixing something that was broken, messing with something, tinkering with something, um, because I couldn't afford to have someone else fix it for me. I, I had to do it myself. And I think when I got older and was able to afford to have someone else, you know, fix it or just buy a newer car, um, having all that time allowed me to spend time with you guys and not work on my car or spend time and actually have a girlfriend um and who thank god we just got into the car scene and she's fully inundated in this shit now i know which is kind of ironic because now i probably could get away with working on my car every single night but i wouldn't want to do that but um so so that's what i mean by value it's not monetary no it's, but i hear you time no, and that's the thing is a difference between having to fix your car all the time because you're trying to get to something versus having to fix your car all the time because it's what you do with your friends. Yeah. And the eight year old eighth gen, that was a, 
that it was clapped out at that point. And and the infinity was the other car. I was always yeah, I didn't, trying to work on that. I didn't want to help you put a fuel tank back in that car after I, it fell out. I, yeah, that was a rough day. That's good. So last year from a resolution standpoint i i never set resolutions because i don't care it's not my thing i Mm -hmm. i've never been someone to you know write out my vision board are you are (laughs) you a goals person not even i'm just trying my best man i will if i have a thing that i'm like passionate about i don't necessarily write it down because i also know that my goals don't always they're not always achieved in the way that i originally intended them to be achieved so I, I I hate the idea that I'd feel like a failure if something didn't pan out the same way. For example, last year I said I'm going to run a half marathon. That was like my one of my New Year's resolutions, and I didn't do that. But it wasn't because I didn't train. It was because I had knee injuries and I was trying to learn how to run twenty to thirty miles a week without injuries. That that took time and and every time you screw it up or 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 push too far and start a new injury or yep oh, there's that tendonitis again or here's an it band issue it's not a okay reset start over it's like you got to wait three weeks you got to like you're detraining at that point and you're trying to find ways around that so what i did was instead of saying like okay i'm gonna just go break my body and run this 13 miles i was like well i just want to i my goal now is really just to be able to continuously run regularly every week and and do that four to six days a week. So over the course of 2023, I ran 600 miles. So that's not bad considering I had like probably two months of downtime. So you ran more than the amount of miles you put on your 911. 100%. Yeah, like actually, yeah, I probably only put 300 miles on the 911. So I think I doubled my foot distance than my 911 distance you you tripled the camaro yeah and i think i put most of the miles on the camaro you did you drove more than i did because i brought it from you drove more than i did 2023 okay another resolution for both of us we need to drive our cars more i think that's great i just drove the honda here i've been driving my lexus my gx460 because i bought it as a winter car i bought it as like okay i'm gonna have like a cushy office that I can take calls from, mm-hmm. that I can have a good sound system, that I can do long distance travel in. Yep. And then I put the Honda away, but it's been 50 degrees this winter. And I was like, shit. So I drove the Honda today, but it's not the only reason I drove the Honda today. Is it? <laughs> I, oh man, I'm not going to tell the whole Lexus story here, but let's just say I have TLDR. Uh, TLDR, very annoying vibration in this car. I've driven five 460s now, and mine is the only one that does this vibration. And it's very specific. Um, and I originally gave it the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, maybe it's flat spots in the tire. I put 300 miles on it, it's not flat spots in the tires. So then we rebalanced the wheels and tires and did not fix it. Then we took wheels and tires from a GX that we knew was good because I had driven it. And I was like, okay, I know these wheels and tires are good. We put them on my car, same vibration. Then I was like, okay, well, good. We've, we now know it's a drivetrain issue because if, you've, if you have eliminated the variable of wheels and tires, well, it's not the wheels and tires. So it's got to be either a drive shaft, an axle, uh, a transfer case, a differential. Something's going on somewhere that is out of balance that is causing this like pervasive droning vibration in the car at highway speeds and then 
instead of what was frustrating about this is that my dealership, instead of like calling it and being like, yep, okay, it's not the wheels and tires. They kept my car for another 10 days and put three new sets of tires on it or four new sets of tires on it and three new sets of wheels on it. And I'm like, why are we doing this? I got the car back and it has the same vibration, of course. Um, so now we're at the point where we're basically like, okay, this car has to go. Um, very long story, very long, frustrating, tearful, nearly story <laughs> short. Uh, the, there's another, uh, we're replacing it, but I'm going to test out the replacement before I take it because I can't, I can't go through this again. But I mean, that, it just goes to show you if, if there's any moral to the story, it's that even if you buy a brand new car, even if you buy a brand new Toyota, it could be a problem. It could be problematic just because you buy, I, I thought throwing money at something, I thought I'm going to throw a ton of money at this car and, in terms of the purchase was going to give me something that I would not have to think about, but I've had to think more about this car than any car I've ever owned. I, I think your story, and obviously we're not going to tell the full story because we'd be here until sunrise. Also, I want to conclude the story and make sure it's a happy ending before I put any yeah. tone on it, before I, you know, there is no, everything so far is still in transit. It's just been a lot of work. And I'm a superstitious yeah. person. I'm not counting any chickens before they're hatched. Yep. But I, I will say though, this whole thing started because of a key fob. So, <laughs> yes. you know, if that key fob had been in your first Lexus, we would be sitting here and you would be telling me how amazing. Yes. What people this don't know has been the car that has the vibration is actually the second Lexus I've owned that month because the first one was missing a key fob but the problem is the key fob and a lot of people are going to be like tom you're an idiot for this why did you you know make a deal of this but <clears throat> the reality is the key fobs that come with the car you get two of them and there's a little bag that covers the key fob and then there's a keychain and that tag both tag and keychain say the vin number on the car and so if you lost a key an arbitrary key that had no identifying marks on it who fucking cares? No one's ever going to find that car unless you're near it. The, the, the chances of you picking up some random Lexus key fob and walking around the world hitting this button, it, it's just not going to happen. But I knew that it had a VIN on it and it was missing and no one could find it. And I didn't like that. To me, that's a security concern because now you can associate the VIN number with my license plate, find me and either steal my car or steal stuff in my car, you know, whatever. I, and, and, and I don't talk about anything like this that much, but I am someone who values security, especially when it comes to my own safety, my family's safety, things like that. Being any kind of internet personality is like a weird thing because there are people who are creepy and it only takes one. There's plenty more than that, but it only takes one and it only takes one who just wants to bite off more than they should. And mm -hmm. I don't want to be in a position where I'm at risk or my car is missing or someone has access to my car. Like, I just don't like that. There's a lot wrong with that. And at the end of the day, the solution was, well, you've had the car for 48 hours. They gave me a new car. And I was like, what a legendary way to do this because they put me in another car that had two keys. And I was like, guys, thank you. That's amazing. The thing that sucked about it was then the car that they put me in mm -hmm. is the one with the driveline vibration. And that was a tough phone call to make because it's like, wow, these people have now just done me the most incredible solid 
And now I have to go make a complaint about it. And that was, that's like my worst nightmare. Oh, that's the most uncomfortable situation because they were doing you a solid and you're going to look like the most ungrateful fuck. Yes. And I've, that's why, that's why like I've been very cautious about how I talk about this because like this, this has been in so many ways an incredible experience and so many other ways has been incredibly frustrating. Um, but at the end of the day, look, it's just a car. Everyone's safe. Everyone's mm-hmm. cool. We're going to get it done. We're going to, we're going to have the GX 460 of my dreams. I do. This is the thing. I love this car so much, despite like this infuriating vibration. I love the car not this car but the car the model you've had so many of these loners these gx loners (laughs) that you know uh, and and all of those have not had the vibration right no no they're a lot smoother um there's there's differences between each of them but tolerable differences what i have is intolerable Mm -hmm. because it's really it's really intolerable that's what's wild like i'm not trying to be princess in the pea here i drive a lot of wild stuff drive a lot of racy cars a lot of sports cars um, there's a difference between like, oh yeah, sure. Like you're on the highway. There's a little bit of vibration and there's a, a, there's, there's, that's not the same as something that's like shuddering through the cabin. That's not the same as something that like, you know, you crest a hill and you get off throttle and then suddenly, whoa, you know, goes through the cabin and the floor and the seat. Like to me, the other concern, it's, it's more than the vibration. It's the fact that a vibration of that magnitude will only amplify and grow over time. Because something's not settled. Yeah, something's, something's not, not loose, settled. Not something's balanced. misaligned. And if it's drivetrain, you're just wearing out components much quicker. And you're just waiting for a kaboom or yeah. something. Yeah, and complete detonation. Yeah. So I just I don't want to be in that position where I'm like, oh well, I'll just even though it drives me nuts. I have a really I have the Mark Levinson sound system in this car. I I can't pay attention to anything I listen to in it because all I hear is the wub 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 wub. Mm. this vibration it drives me insane and it's funny because like dana he he has he's hit a couple potholes in his day Mm. um and he's had like some wheel vibrations from that and i'm like oh man this is so much more tolerable than mine it's insane because i'm like i know what it is and i know what that is i know his wheel is bent and that's what it is and you can predict it and you feel it but it doesn't like pervade the cabin with a wub 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 you know what i mean a good way to think about this and a good way is like, you know, like when you have a toothache, but you don't know which tooth it is and it infuriates you that that feeling amplifies to half of the side of your teeth because you're so angry and you can't figure out what it is. That's sort of like what's going on with the vibration yes. because you don't know exactly what is going on. It's just pissing you off that much more and i've tried to ignore it i've really really trust me i have tried to be okay with it because i'm like tom just live with it no i I can't do it i can't do it i can't do it i'm the exact same way um a a couple years ago i had misplaced uh, my ipad pencil right like the little pencil that's on an ipad and this was like at like 10 at night and everybody's getting ready to go to bed i remember this i could not fall asleep unless i found your little stylus yeah i ripped apart my bedroom and i when i mean ripped apart the mattress was turned over things were moved out of the way that hadn't been moved in years and what what ended up happening was because it's magnetic it ended up sticking to the bottom of the the bed frame (laughs) and but you wouldn't have known and you wouldn't have even think to you know thought to look there because why would it hide up in this little you know, corner, but because it's magnetic, it, it stuck to it. And then obviously 
I would never have noticed it. Um, but yeah, I totally get it. I remember when that happened. I do because Corey was like, oh my God. And I'm the same way. I will turn a house upside down if I've lost something. Yeah. I, I just, I, I, I would have been the same way. I would have done the same, you know, thing like I cannot drive this thing yeah. without knowing what's wrong with well, it. Well, the frustrating thing too is like, it's not hard to replace the car. You just get another car. You just trade it out. Um, the problem is they're out of production now. So it's like trying to find one that's in the same spec. Cause mm -hmm. I, I bought the car I wanted. That's the thing. Like I really did. I bought the car I wanted. I didn't want the captain's chairs in the back. I wanted it to be able to fit seven people. I, I, there were certain things about this vehicle that I'm like, this is the one I want. And it was hard to find, honestly. And now, you know, it's getting harder to find. So there's a transporter coming. Uh, hopefully everything goes well and we just trade out and fingers crossed and we're just big smiles and happy ending to the saga of the GX. <laughs> I, I hope and pray for all of our sakes that we can laugh about this in a couple months because I'm fucking tired of talking about Lexus GXs. I, I went on a date um, with Dana the other night and the whole day, when, before I got there, I made a pact to myself. He's never said anything. He, he thinks this is entertainment, honestly. I'm like, I have to stop talking about this because this is killing me and i'm like every time i bring it up i'm like oh i'm gonna get broken up with like there's no way i can maintain a relationship if this is what i'm talking about regularly and i'm a i'm a very obsessive person so when something is on my mind it's really hard for me to knock it out there mm -hmm. i did such a good job i only mentioned it because chris cutie of the depreciation society called me and he had a story about a, a, a car and then he was like how's your thing and so i I, I, I mouthed the words, I'm sorry to Dana while he was like packing his stuff because he moved, he's moving um, for temporarily. And anyway, I, I'm like, I told him the story and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I even brought, I even said anything about the car. I'm so sorry. I even said anything about there. He didn't care, but I, I know that for my own sake, I'm like, I can tell I'm being annoying. Yeah. Um, it, it, well, sort of related. Do you feel like age has to do with the purchase of this vehicle meaning because you've gotten older and more mature which i think is debatable but do you think because you've gotten older it's sort of it's made you it's it's accelerated the speed as to saying like hey i want to purchase a luxury vehicle because i, I don't want to look like a child driving around in a type r with a giant wing on the back oh i do not care what i look like i just care about how i feel and i'll tell you when you're rolling around in the winter with like horrible potholes and oh. in your front wheel drive i mean front wheel drive's fine but it's just not that exciting in the winter um but the car's low enough. There are things that you're like, oh God, if I like blow a tire, I'm, it's so stupid. And also there is a level of security and uh, safety, I suppose, but something about being in like a body on frame SUV in like crummy weather, there is this insulative force that happens that you're like, oh, I'm way more relaxed in my Lexus than I am in the Honda when I'm driving in like crummy weather. If it's pouring mm -hmm. rain, if it's snowing, if it's icy, I do feel a lot more confident and comfortable in my SUV, which is the most American sentence I've ever stated. But yeah. it's true. There's a reason why SUVs have taken over the country. 
Yeah. Because, and it's not, it's, it's not just because, oh, you can fit more in it. That's bullshit. You can fit a ton of fucking stuff in an E63S wagon. Okay. It's great. And that's still all wheel drive. I'm not saying everyone has to go spend $140,000 on that. But what I am saying is that there is something about the, the driving experience of these vehicles that does make sense in certain atmospheres. And I have now experienced it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that don't make sense because I have done a moose test in my GX where I have had to swerve out of a lane to avoid something that like fell off a truck and holy fucking shit. Yeah. What a thing to move. What a, the things I felt that vehicle do under those circumstances. First, it was sort of that vague steering. Then it was sidewall squirm. Then it was the tail reacting subsequently because it doesn't react at the same mm -hmm. time as the front of the car. There's enough of a delay where you're very aware that you turned the front and the rear hasn't found out yet. Then the rear goes and then that squirms and then you go to correct. And that means when it comes back around, you're trying to go straight. There's body roll and sidewall squirm and it all just culminates in this kind of horrifying thing where especially in a GX, I mean, in, in most unibody SUVs, this isn't that noticeable because they don't really do this, but in a body on frame GX, it blows my mind how many how many people say this is like a soccer mom car because I'm like yo these soccer moms driving straight up trucks like yeah I mean I mean you can <laughs> feel I bet you you felt a little bit of frame twist oh for sure and 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 I and with with body on frame vehicles is you know think of it as your vehicle is a loaded spring and when you release that spring. It just takes off. It's incredible. Now, the other thing is you can tell, I mean, I was fully aware that uh, tr um, stability control was playing a little bit of a game with the I'm rear sure. brakes. Um, it did some things and I was thankful for it. I don't think I would have lost it, but I honestly am, I'm, I'm respectful of the size of that vehicle. Mm -hmm. And I don't drive it very fast. I typically, you know, I don't drive that car at 80 miles an hour. I drive it at 72 to 75 and I call it because yeah. I'm fully, I've had a couple like, whoa, we avoided that. But then I'm like, hmm, we avoided that. But what did it take to avoid it? And it's very different experience. If something, if we, we can go out and avoid anything in our Hondas, and I don't think twice about my Type R. So I could I could throw that across three lanes six <laughs> times in a row. It wouldn't fucking matter. It would just go. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't. I'd be having fun, even if it went sideways. It mm -hmm. would just keep my foot in it. It'd be fine. It'd drag itself out. Um, there's something about being in like a big a big SUV that makes you respect the size of the vehicle you're driving. Yeah. But you get used to it because it's cushy. It it behaves and acts like a car for the most part. So it's, I think, do you think it's easy for people to forget that? And that's why I think like, I am sad that SUVs have become the norm because I do think that there's a big safety element that is removed from the situation. A, lots of heavy vehicles. B, the handling is just not there for, oh, yeah. for these cars relative to a sedan or a wagon or something. But yeah, that's, that's, that's all I have to say about that right now. I do love it. I do recognize that I bought like a quote unquote mom car, a mom mall crawler, but I love it. Like I love this mm -hmm. thing. It's it's so quiet inside. It's cushy. I've got a heated steering wheel and heated seats and Apple CarPlay. I have and we put seven people in the loaner on New Year's. Yeah. Um, and by the way, we should talk about New Year's. What was so for those of you who listened to the last podcast, Ben Lynn was here from Gears and Gasoline. And the reason he was on the podcast was because he was coming up to um our friend's New Hampshire house. 
uh, for New Year's. We we spent a couple of days in Boston uh, for David's birthday. Mm-hmm. We went out to the North End, got a big meal. We saw Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Commendatore. Yes, yes. And then we went up to New Hampshire and just had like a mildly debaucherous couple of days. It was wonderful. And it was it was super fun. Do you have a favorite moment of the the New Year's trip with our buddies? Having dinner with everybody and just laughing and talking to each other and just enjoying company and not having, you know, an electronic device, you know, being the reason we're all together, like a TV or a phone or whatever. Um, We were just there to enjoy each other's company. We didn't even use the TV room. You're right. We didn't use it once. We didn't watch any movies. We were just enjoying each other. Oh my God. Yeah. That that's never happened there. That's incredible. And and for the sake of just argument here, we 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 weren't debaucherous. Okay. I say that like kind of jokingly, but really what happens is we'll have some drinks, we've got a hot tub, and it's our buddies. Yeah. And and you know, that's the deal. And it's and it was great. And we had, you know, people from a couple different like like my, my Dana had not met some of these people and he had a blast. Yeah. I think Dana was the most excited because he had watched Ben on Gears and Gasoline yeah. for years. And I don't know if it was years. I think he kind of I think he always knew about him, but I think I found out later like, oh, he was like I think he was like studying. He was like, "Oh, I'm going to Oh, okay. So okay. I think so, he was so it wasn't like he always watched them, but he knew who they were. Yeah, and I think he was really okay. trying to make sure he knew how to talk the talk if like for example, the DSM came up of the eclipse oh. was part of the conversation. So he knew everything going on. Now I've caught up because I, me and Ben always tell each other, we're like, you know, we, we don't watch each other's stuff. We don't watch any, I don't watch much for car stuff at all um, for two reasons. One, I don't want to be influenced by another influencer who is reviewing a car or has reviewed a car <laughs> that I'm going to review. Copycat. Don't want to be a copycat. Yeah. And, the, and the easiest way to make sure you don't plagiarize somebody is you just don't fucking watch it mm-hmm. <laughs> and just keep it away. So that way you don't have the same take as somebody inadvertently. Uh, and two, um, when you watch somebody else's really well done finished product and you are behind or late, it makes you feel like shit. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, all yeah. I do is it's like it's like reading someone else's book report and you haven't fucking started. You've just written your name in MLA format at the top. <laughs> That sounds like just about every book report that I ever did. Right? So you Always just, at the last You minute. just don't want to... I don't like watching it because I'm like, oh, God, look how good this is. And then I'm sitting there going like, fuck, I got to make something. I haven't made it yet. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say you could probably watch Gears and Gasoline because they're so different than what you do. Yes. That I, I don't think you would ever cross paths with any of their content except for grid life stuff. And that would just be because you're doing a vloggy style video. You're not doing, you know, JDM road trips with, you know, I don't even know what kind of cars, but you know. No, but the guilt of watching someone's 30 minute video when you actually should be editing is. Ah, okay. Well, if that's the case, the guilt in terms of like, I should be working and not watching this, you know, stupid fucking video. Yeah. Yeah, that I get. All right, let's get into the cars. We, uh, we, yeah. All right. We've done, we've done enough talking about, you know, your fucking gx things we just said we shouldn't talk about it and yet here we are here we are it, you um, can't avoid it no you can't it's the it's the talk of the town baby <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah so um yeah i this year you know resolution just be more present you know that sounds so fucking cliche i hate right? it because I it does hate it you sound like a cat poster or but, you sound like a hot girl being like just be mindful i know but there, there's no better way other than saying 
we're too caught up in our own bullshit. Yeah. And we need to just take a step back and just enjoy what we have. Stop staring at that fucking Instagram every morning. Yeah. Stop going through stories of people you don't care about or know. Yeah. yeah Stop. Yeah. I yeah. muted so many people. I hope people don't mute me, but I understand if you do, because if it's something that bothers you or whatever, it's like, well, then don't look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And just remember, you're only here once. If you think you want to try something, go out and try it. Yeah. Because one day you might not be able to. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. Let's keep moving. Um, I had some questions because I watch your beautiful Ferrari California video. Que bella. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, and, and I think it's kind of more ironic after seeing the movie Ferrari for, yeah, uh, I had brief, I had given a brief, uh, movie review about it on my own podcast. Okay. Um, and I, and I want to hear what your take was it of, uh, your take of the movie was. Of the movie? Yes. Of the movie before we get into the California stuff. Okay. So first of all, I, so I'm not going to add spoilers here. I well, I'll try not to. So if you haven't seen Ferrari, maybe skip ahead a little bit, but I think, First and foremost, it's such a it's an interesting movie because it's a period piece, but it's a period piece that takes place in a very specific time. This is not a a biography of Enzo Ferrari. This is not like, oh, this is the culmination of the company starting and ending and this and that. I feel like House of Gucci gave you a little more. And I'm only mentioning that because A, I watched it last night. B, it's also Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. House of Gucci kind of walks you through the entire career of of Mauricio Gucci going from like becoming part of the company and then his uh, you know subsequent death murder with ferrari it's just 1957 we're just in 1957 world we are there to do one thing and it's to win the mille Emilia. so we're taking this two hours or so of movie and we're putting it all around this one little chapter of enzo's career of his life so in that, I feel like sometimes the movie was a little slow, mm. but patient, I think. I, I'm not going to call it slow because I enjoyed the scenery. Even in the slow bits, I thought that the texture of this film was so enveloping and exciting that I always wanted to look at what was going on. I really felt like I was experiencing what was happening. It was not car related in a lot of ways. Yeah. It was not a car movie. No, no. And that's what I, I was going to say. Uh, after you gave me your review because i was like this is not a car movie this is a mini documentary this, of two weeks this is a documentary about the relationship of enzo and his wife wives wives <laughs> mistress <laughs> yeah but that's fine i'm okay with that because i did want to see that but the thing that bothered me and this isn't about the film this is just me like having hopes for what this was going to be I really wanted to know more about Ferrari as a company mm-hmm. and I didn't, we didn't get any of that. No, no. And you know what we also didn't get? We didn't get enough of them talking about the race cars for the Millimilia. They existed. We saw them. We were just seeing, what were they? Th- were they 335 M's or MM's? I forget what they were. I didn't even remember what the cars were because like I barely I think they saw. they were 330 MM's. 330s? Oh, yeah, man. I yeah. forget. I don't know those cars. I mean, that's not my I know a forte. little bit about that era, but not them. I know like 54, 55. I don't know 57 that well. And the thing is, everything that happened right after that is what I'm interested in because mm-hmm. subsequent to this movie's time frame, that's when Giotto Bizzarini comes in. That's when he becomes the chief engineer of Ferrari and creates the 250 GTO. This was the end of road racing for Ferrari in, in, in 
some ways. I mean, yeah, Le Mans is a road race technically because it's on roads, but that sort of Millimilia was the last of the just sort of cannonball style races where you were still on just roads. Rightfully so. No that barriers. it was the end of it, obviously. And, and yeah, I, I think, I feel like they could have picked a different time frame well, to, I, to dissect. It is the turning point of the company, though. It, it is. It, it is It is a point where, because had, had they not, um, you know, after the accident, mm. the big accident, that could have ended Ferrari at all, completely. And it didn't. But I guess that's the point, right? Um, and what's interesting is if this movie was maybe like 1958 to 1964, right? Let's say it was that time frame. The movie would have started with the tragedy mm. to show where they came from and then continued onwards yes. into, you know, racing glory with the 250 GTO and some of these things, right? Le Mans after Le Mans mm-hmm. after Le Mans. And, and then I think, the fight with Ford and yeah, all this other stuff. I thought that would have been a really good time period. And I know Ford versus Ferrari, but... Ferrari really wasn't in Ford versus Ferrari. They were just the enemy. Right. But what I like about this... All right. So that's a complaint. But I also have to respect where it is because what it did was it normalized Enzo in a way that we got to see him as a person. We got to see him inject his personality, his desires Mm -hmm. into people who were across the table at him, even though he wasn't the Ferrari we know him as today because they were in dire straits. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the the top of his game dude at that point. No. So that's the thing is asking a race car driver at lunch, you got to fucking kill yourself for me, okay? That's what you need to do for me. The, there's a difference between an established person who is the winningest, most revered you know, president, CEO of a company ever built versus... Oh, fuck me. Maserati's so much faster. Oh, and you want me to die for this Ferrari. Like, that name didn't mean what it meant yet. Yeah. I mean, it still was big. I'm not saying it was nothing. But it was definitely in its, like, um, what's the word? I want to use the word, like, nascent. I don't think infancy? that's... Infancy? Infancy. It's like, it's like it's juvenile yet. Like, it hadn't quite flourished. And I think we get the Ferrari we know after that. And maybe I'm not the historian that needs to be talking about this, but I do think that um, there's a piece of this that is so much more relatable because of where he was in 1957 versus in the 1960s. Mm. You know, that's a good way to put it. I didn't think of it that way. I thought of this movie as, you know, I really liked, actually, I really liked Adam Driver portraying Enzo. I thought he did a really good job all things considered, even though the fact that he probably was not relatively the same age, I would say. How old would Enzo have been? Like 50s? Uh, I don't know. I don't know when he was born, but, uh, you know, Adam Driver's about 40-something, so he's... Okay, so yeah, 10 years 40. apart. Yeah. Um, he played a great Enzo Ferrari. Uh, the, the wife, I think, was the killer. So Penelope Cruz was the serious winner of that entire oh, movie. She, she was, yeah. slayed. She killed. Killed killed what's funny is i love shailene woodley who is the one who plays the mistress i do love her because i think she's she's great great in like big little lies she was Mm -hmm. she's she's a killer her italian accent was so bad and so in and out that it took me out of it that i'm like i wish she just she could have straight up talked in a new york accent and i would have been okay with it as long as the acting was good but yeah that italian thing it's a it's a tricky one 
It's tricky, but let's just be thankful they actually did Italian accents because we've seen so many movies where everything is just a British accent when they're mm-hmm. in France or some bullshit. And you're like, come on, guys. Like, yeah. we're not this dumb. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie to an extent because, you know, it's a car movie. And whenever these come out, I'm just thankful they make stuff like this. But that being said, uh, the moment for me, the turning point for me in this movie where I started to lose hope was that first accident. Oh, my God. All right, the production, oh, the CGI in this God. movie is brutal. Like, you see it happen. You're like, okay, there's an accident. But instead of, like, letting the accident happen, if you're not going to make a great crash, because they can't, obviously, they can't crash these cars, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, they could replicate something and whatever. But what they do is they eject the driver from the car as if he was being catapulted at, like, a higher velocity than the car was even going. And the car just kind of like goes, flies? It just flies? So, so okay. <laughs> I put that, This is how I described it on my podcast. And I'll, and I'll just say the same thing. I laughed. Oh, yeah. And, and this was supposed to be a point in the movie where it was supposed to show how dangerous this sport was. And you're supposed to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is why motor racing was so dangerous like they were tr- he was trying to convey how dangerous this was but what ended up conveying to me was they're on the moon there's no fucking gravity because this guy the, the driver first thing he hits a curb which on a racetrack i don't know about a racetrack in the 1950s but you might blow your tire out and you might just crash into the the, the grass or the woods you wouldn't fly 50 to 100 feet in the air and then the driver goes 100 feet to the left and the car goes so high. I don't know if you remember. It hit the wall. Yeah, yeah. It flew into a wall. And I just remember being like, this is hilarious. This is so bad. I, it would have been... They they went a little crazy and I don't know why they did that. I mean, maybe there's something I just really don't know about car accidents in the 1950s, but it it was <laughs> crazy. It was crazy. I don't it yeah. was like a rocket propelled car accident. And it was really hard for me to to get back involved in the movie. It was hard for me to find, you know, the the, the, the will the heart and yeah, like yeah. yeah. I mean, I was taken so far out of the movie. Now it was like I'm it was it went from me being like I'm in the movie yes. I'm there to oh it's 2024 and I'm watching some clown with a computer make some dumb you know CGI now the one the one thing that I love and hate is the Mille Miglia driving scenes I think are great because we're using what appear to be legitimate cars in yes. some of the scenes yes in, in, in a lot of the scenes like we are seeing the only problem with that is because a lot of these cars if they are real are like 50 to 70 million dollar cars you can't you can't no do anything with them no. other than drive 30 miles an hour and shake the camera a bunch to make it look like they're doing something which is essentially what most of those scenes are now it's fun because we got to watch a lot of cool cars come in and out of frame we got to watch things go around corners and over cobblestones and this and that but what we didn't get to see was like hardcore wheel-to-wheel racing with with anything but what they did do really well to capture and this is man so important the sounds they got were the sounds. dead on now other than the fact that sometimes the sounds were associated with the wrong actions in the car <laughs> like we watched a guy downshift for an upshift we watched a lot of weird things mm-hmm. that i was like okay that's not how that gearbox works that doesn't make any sense why are you going from four to three when i'm hearing you go three to four um 
okay, whatever. I can kind of overlook some of that stuff. It bothers me, but I can deal with it. But they got the sounds really well, really right. And seeing it in a movie theater with a proper sound system, oh my God. It sounded glorious. They got the engine notes spot on. It's so good. And I think they must have had a bunch of kit cars because the scenes when the, the Maserati and the Ferrari were banging doors. Yeah. Oh, they, they must have had kits. They must have had kit cars. Yeah. And and so that's, I respect that. Obviously, they're doing it at low speeds because they're stunt people and we're not actually trying to kill people on a production of this movie. Um, what I also like was that they allowed, they trusted us to tell the difference maybe too much between the two cars because they were both red. And that's true. That's accurate to what it really would have been. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad they didn't say like, oh, let's make the Maserati yellow or silver or blue or something like that because it wasn't. It was a fucking red car and so there's two red cars that two people in 2023 24 eh, they look like the same fucking car yeah yeah they look almost identical i think the only way you could tell is either from the front the grill um and then i think the maserati has a plaque on it on the side of the car yeah and there was also like a yeah there was a different plaque and i think one of them had the uh, passenger seat covered and this and that but either yeah. way it was just a little tricky because like if you they, they it's not hard when you're staring at the two of them it was hard when they break away to one car and then you're like wait a minute which car am i looking at now because we're at a close-up shot and all yeah. i'm seeing is red and yeah. it's hard to know and so, and when the drivers had those what you could call a helmet it was just a leather cap and goggles you couldn't tell who was who was driving <laughs> the, the same car fucking guy it was the same so like i was struggling to figure out okay who's driving this car yes i i don't know now the best part for me about this movie yes. was throughout the movie i'm looking at all these cars and i'm going i've driven that i've driven that <laughs> i've driven that i've driven that i've driven that i photographed that i've driven that like that was so incredible yeah that was really cool it was the neatest, what a wild thing to be able to see a, a fleet of like unobtainium 50s melee cars and be like, wow, I've, I'm like, it, it was striking to me because I was like, oh, fuck me. I have driven a lot of wild old shit. You really have. And and I want to actually ask you a few questions on this. Um, we're going to transition into something I'd like to call, how do you drive an old car? Oof. And and I'm talking old, not yeah. like a nine, because like, I think people... Uh, especially younger listeners. I don't know how young your demographic of listening this is, but let's say you think of an old car as a 1990s car. <laughs> and and it's crazy, but that's the truth, you know? They're classics um, now. You know, like, I, I, I think your 911, try to compare that to the California that you drove. Oh, my God. I mean, th- th- we're talking about space station versus the first wheel i mean it's just they're night and day they're completely Mm -hmm. different cars so when i get into an old car the first thing i do is ask a lot of questions of someone who knows what's going on because there's cars where you you need to understand a few things before you even started it i want to know does it have drum brakes have they ever been serviced right i drove jake's xk120 that was my first one of my first like old cars that had kind of scary brakes because there were drums and they had not been serviced and it felt like Brillo pads on wood. Oh. So kind of scary. Another thing is, does the car have lugs or knockoffs? When was the last time someone torqued those lugs and has anyone taken a hammer to these knockoffs? Because they they can fall off. Yes, they're reverse threaded, but sometimes a car is sat in a garage for 10 years mm-hmm. and just been on a trailer and off a trailer and on a trailer and off a trailer. And then I get it. 
And so, you know, the other day I drove a Ferrari 250 GT California Spider, and that was one of those things where Justin at Bond Group, he's like, oh, hang on, I want to just make sure, because I always ask, and he went around, and he did it without me asking, and we were like, ooh, we got a good, you know, almost whole turn out of one of the knockoffs. Wow. You know, because that car hadn't been driven. Yeah. You know, it probably used to be driven a lot and hadn't been in a long time, and you don't know, you also never know who just service the car so they could have just serviced the car and kind of put something on hand tight okay so that's number one it's just understanding what you're looking at number two is what are the tires are they 50 year old tires are they 20 year old tires are they 10 year old tires because i will still you know people yell at me for this i will still drive a car on 20 year old tires but the way i drive that car is very different Mm. than the way i would drive that car on fresh tires because i can still get a car to go down the street i can get it to give me a little one two three up to 40 or 60 miles an hour assuming i have good visibility and the road conditions are fine but you will not find me pitching that in to the 95 on-ramp from route two at 70 miles an hour if i'm on old tires it's not gonna happen um and you're also not gonna see me like jumping into the brakes and doing full-on brake tests because they're just gonna lock it's just the way it goes yeah. So what I have, I have some more questions about this. So do you feel like, you know, it sounds like you do your homework before you get in these cars. I try right? to. You try to. You try to look up what kind of gearbox it has. Is it a dog leg? And then when you get to the car, do you, you know, do you do any like checks? Like almost like it's an airplane. You know, you were almost a pilot. Yeah, I was. You I know, mean- that probably those skills go hand in hand with old cars because, you know, I do pre-flight checks on my race car whenever before it goes to the track and right before it goes out to the track um and and those are pretty simple like i nut and bolt check very big things especially if i was messing around with something um you know you check the lug nuts that sort of thing sure but on older cars you know you're not only dealing with a car you're dealing with sometimes a piece of history a one-of-one and sometimes these one-of-one cars are just a bit different than what you read online. Like I know some Ferraris have completely different style doors than the the one that was made the next month. Yeah. And and that can totally change. I mean, like do you go do you open the hood? Do you look at yes. like, you know, uh, the throttles and when the carburetors? I, yeah, so yeah. most of the time I'm getting a car if it's let's say for example, this is Bond Group, it's already been gone through. It doesn't necessarily mean it's been driven. So sometimes it hasn't gone out for like, you know, the mechanic check ride. Sometimes I am the little bit of a guinea pig here. Um, And and I like to know that because I drive the car differently if I'm the guinea pig. Mm -hmm. So if, 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 if Justin's gone out and he's, he's run it in for 10 miles and he goes, oh dude, fucking dream, no play in the steering, brakes feel good. It's tuned well, go for it. That, then I do that. But if I am, if he goes, I checked everything, but I've only driven it in the garage or I've only driven it up the street for 10 seconds. I like that information. That's good for me because that lets me know that like I need to be a little more heightened on my awareness level. Um, So yeah, first pre-flight check. I'm under all these cars first anyway. I'm not the one that, you know, I'm photographing these cars as, as well as videoing them. So I'm usually under there checking everything. I can see what's leaking. What's a normal leak? Is it a rear main seal? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Of course it's a yeah. fucking leaky jag, you know, um, is, does the, you know, you get a feel for like what's going on underneath, mm-hmm. right? Suspension components intact. We don't have cracks and leaf springs and shit like that. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
brakes look good. There's no wetness around lines. The lines aren't rusted out and all that kind of shit, right? So then we get in the car. Once we get in the car, that's when I'm familiarizing myself because the seating position alone in some of these things is enough to make you not want to drive them. I, really? I could put you in probably four or five cars that you would today tell me is your dream drive, the dream car that you want to drive. And if I put you in the car out in that garage right now, you'd maybe second guess yourself and mm. say, I don't think I should drive this. So you have to get used to that. Like old jacks, giant steering wheels, you you drive them with your legs wide open, you man spread the hell out mm-hmm. of it, and you've got to reach in with your feet to get to the pedals and do all this dancey shit. And then you've got to know, okay, is it a, for, for some cars, you want to know, like, is it a synchronized gearbox? How many gears are there? Where's reverse? You know, just the basics, right? Yeah. Um, get familiar with that, the gates. How are we getting in? How are we getting out? If I panic, let's say, let's say we're like, shit, where, where's third? Find out if the centering spring just puts third dead in the middle and you push forward. Now we're fine because if you go that two, three and let's say something happens, you're just like, uh, I don't know, you bail. You bail on that two, three. Now you're in neutral rolling down the street at 35 miles an hour. Hmm, is that third or is that first? And if you've familiarized yourself with the transmission a little bit and that stick, then you know that like, okay, that centering spring kept it dead nuts center for third. I had to push over and forward for first. I can go f- straight on for third. Mm-hmm. And that helps you. You kind of figure that out. Um, then, yeah, the other idea is, is it a synchronized gearbox? Even if it is a synchronized gearbox, like how well is this maintained? Is it, is it, is it a, orig- how many owners is this yeah. thing? Because there's cars that you're like, oh, synchronized gearbox. Great. That means I can like nudge it into first at two miles an hour. No, it might not. No. A, a, a dog box, like a, a moss box, um, is debt like an old Jag Moss box? I have a, a a full stop rule on those cars because yes, you can get it, you can double clutch into first, but you got to be so dead nuts on that it's just not worth it. And a lot of those cars, even if you are at a dead stop, won't go in, which means you've got to nudge it either all the way in or just a hair into second and then go into first and then they'll go. So sometimes you are just sitting at a light and you're like, oh, it went into first. You pull it out, you let the clutch out in in neutral. You're waiting for your red light. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Light goes green. Go to go in first. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. And you got to, you know, if you're on a tiny bit of a hill, you can either nudge the car forward an inch or back to get it. Sometimes it doesn't go. And you got to play this game of kind of like, okay, well, it's going in a third. And then you walk it back. Okay. So third, second, into first. And then you can go. But you got to be patient. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like learning what switches do. First, does this car have a choke? Does it have a hand throttle? Like old speedsters, old Porsches, they don't have a choke, but they actually have a hand throttle. Oh, like a like a motorcycle. Yeah. Or so yeah. so when you're like warming up a, a 356, you don't choke it. You start it and then you pull the hand throttle out and rotate it and hold a set RPM that you're comfortable with it at, so it can warm up just enough. Mm-hmm. And then you slowly release that, and then you're good. But other cars, they need to be choked and then they need to be babied until you get them to move. Two fit Colombo V12s. The startup procedure on those cars, like you've got um, a fuel pump switch, so you need to make sure you understand what everything does. Uh, you nail that fuel pump, wait for it to, it clicks. And now you're ready to start. Mm. So you wait for it to slow down. You got to know these things on the car. 
um, and understand what it likes. Some of them, when you start them, they just will crank and 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 they don't do anything. And then finally they'll catch. They're warm enough or they've had enough fuel or they've got enough air and they finally catch and then they'll die and then they'll die and then they'll die. And you got to learn like, okay, maybe I got to keep the revs up and, you know, and it turns into like those F1 engine startup sequences where you're like, why do they do all this work? It's like, because sometimes this shit just takes a while. And and oil is cold yes. on some of these engines, and, and it's very thick. I'm assuming it's very thick oil uh, yeah, a on lot some of these engines. A lot of it's like 20W50 and stuff like that. You know, seals weren't great back then. No, so it just some of them are persnickety, some of them aren't, and all you can't assume that if you've driven one XK120 that the other one's going to drive the same. You can't assume that about a 250 either. So they all kind of operate a little differently, and you got to get you got to feel it out, see what mm-hmm. it likes, see what it wants to do. And then depending on your comfort level, like how many fire extinguishers are you going to pack in the passenger footwell? Because I think my record is four, three or four. You can't have too many. No. On a car like that. No. And I do that. Sometimes those are cars that are just valuable. Like we've done that in like um, a 550 Spider, the Porsche. That's oh, a yeah. six or seven million dollar car. So you're like, you know what? If there's an engine fire... It will do damage, but it won't do six million in damage if mm-hmm. we can put it out. It might do a couple hundred thousand. <laughs> you could have someone, you know. Luckily, knock on wood, I've never had an engine fire. Um, I've never had that happen. I hope not. I hope it never happens because it's scary, especially on old cars like that. But then there's the other side of it where there's safety concerns with the cars because even if everything in your safety check is great, the steering column isn't collapsible in a lot of these cars that are, you know, pre 1960s. So if you do get in an accident or you lose brakes and you have to hit something, the steering column's going straight through your heart. It's aimed right at your chest. So oh, yeah, so you're you, done. You gotta, you gotta have an idea. There's cars that I will not wear seatbelts in because I'm like, I'd rather be thrown clear. <laughs> than, I'd rather be like the, the rather, driver in the Ferrari yes, movie. Okay. I'd have a better chance outside of the vehicle, I believe, in some of these cars. Okay, so you've done your pre-flight checks. Everything looks good. <laughs> Now's the worst part. You're ready to get on the road. It's horrifying. Okay, you 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 you're pulling out. What is your biggest concern? Like, are you just playing the game of keep away, meaning keep away from every fucking person on the road, or are you more concerned about actually making this thing operate and function properly? And on top of all that, you've got to make it look good on camera. Yes. So both are true. Uh, number one, when I'm rolling down, first I'm doing brake checks and making sure that like, the pedal's not fading away from me. Because okay, like that, that could be like, oh, we've got a minor pinhole leak in a line. And whoop, we don't have brakes today. And then you've got to abort. So you need to know where your mm-hmm. uh, hand brakes are and things in these cars just in case. And I mean, most of them are very well maintained. I, this isn't something that has happened very often. Um, but in the event, I'm ready. Yeah patience is everything because you know i watch the way people drive i watch the way people go out of a stop sign and take chances with people i'm like god i'm like i'll be in a million dollar car and i'm like yeah i will wait here as long as i need to wait here i don't really give a so first of all nobody who's waiting for you to do something matters fuck them (sighs) i need to keep this car alive Number two, when I'm pulling out of somewhere, even if I've warmed a car up in a parking lot, it doesn't mean the transmission and differential are necessarily warmed up either. So that first one, two is the scariest shift because you're like, I don't want to crunch it in front of all the people that own it. 
you know, yeah. sometimes a, an engine, a transmission doesn't like that first shift. So it's patient, very patient. Figure out what it likes. Mm-hmm. Does it like, and, and do the revs drop fast? Do you need to give it a little blip on the way in? I get yelled at for that sometimes in videos where they're like, if a transmission's really persnickety, I will let the revs drop, rev it up, and then let the gear, the trans, uh, stick fall into the gear on its yeah. own. That's just to save the gearbox. That's just to, to, to drive smoothly without a crunch, without forcing anything. It's just sympathy for a machine. That's it. Good to know. And sometimes people complain about my double blips on a downshift. I'll go, if you notice, the first blip I do is always slightly lower than the second blip. There's a reason for this. It's because I'm figuring out the throttle. Yeah. I'm just, I'm testing the water. I'm tasting it. And before I'm biting it. And I'm going, because I'll feel it thinking, and I go, "Mm, I need another 50 RPM out of that. Boom, boom, and then you're in, and then everything's good. I'm not double clutching most of these cars. I don't need to. There's some that you do, but like people will say, oh, that's not double clutching. I'm like, I'm not double clutching. I'm not attempting to double clutch this car. I'm just trying to hit the rev match. That's it. It's, it's, you know what also, it's like people don't realize that some of these transmissions are not easy to drive. <laughs> I mean, you know, people think that every transmission is so simple to get in and out of gears. Like even, you know, even some modern cars that I've driven, you have to double clutch. Oh, yeah. Because they're just not good transmissions. No. Or they've been beat to hell. Absolutely. And the synchros are gone. And the feeling of a 1950s and 60s, like, you know, race transmission is not the fucking same. I mean. It's very different. Yeah. And you've got, it took me a long time to get acclimated to a lot of different styles. And eventually it's just like it's just something that you're like, oh, so we're going to play this game. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get in and you're pleasantly surprised because I've driven cars where like you get in and you say, oh God, this is a nightmare. And then you hate that car. You think, oh, they're all like this. And then you drive another one six months later and you're dreading, I'm dreading it. I'm like, fuck, I got to go try to make this look good. I hate driving that car. It didn't treat me well last time. And I had to be really patient with it. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't bond with it. And then you get in it and it's fucking great. And you're like, oh, that was just a shitter. <laughs> that one just sucked. We're learning a lot about variables and variations <laughs> of the same type of vehicle the lexus <laughs> uh porsches i mean it's funny how bad manufacturing was on some of these vehicles back then brutal i mean it can be the difference between one of the workers on the line having a bad night the night before and binge drinking and forgetting to tighten a bolt I think I got a Friday car on the Lexus. I think it was a. I think it was a late night. I think there was. It was a Friday before a holiday, and there was sake in the break room. Could have been. But yeah. Anyway, we're coming up on the end of this. But the last thing I'll say about driving like old cars or what that's like, really, it comes down to being so defensive that your mood, your hunger, your timeline, nothing matters. It doesn't matter if they. If you said I'll be back at four. But the safest way to get back to the garage is to get back at 4.30. Pull over and make the phone call if you've got to do it. But rushing anything on a classic car is going to fuck you. And then you're the idiot who said next to a crashed car, well, you said you needed it back. They're like, I didn't need it back like this. I would have waited a half an, half an hour for you not to crash a $7 million car right? Everyone will wait. Remember that everyone will wait for you, for you to not crash a car. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's, if the car gets back intact, that's the most important thing. 
That's it. Yeah. Hyper aware. Who's on their cell phones? Are you on the highway? What are you doing? Are you using indicators? Are you using your arms because the fucking none of the lights work on this car <laughs> or doesn't even have indicators? Yeah. Half of the cars I drive don't have mirrors. I think that's a great way to end. I think that's I think so too. So thank you for coming on here. Any fucking time. Happy New Year to everyone out there, even though it's way too fucking late for that on the 13th when we're recording this. Thank you to Garage 42. The premier car storage location Should in we central Massachusetts. briefly talk about these wonderful... And yes, thank you to David for this incredible surprise. I am sitting next to two giant posters. I basically have a three-foot Tedward logo in front of me that I am... I never ordered. I didn't ask for. Yeah. And the fucking guy came through and just surprised us. And you've got the Backseat Drivers podcast logo over there with you and Devin's face. I, I'm blown away. Yeah. This is the coolest gift that has ever been. Because I. Awesome. It's just unexpected. I didn't know. And it's so sweet and comforting to know that your friends are kind of looking out for you. But yes, if you need to store your car, Garage 42 is your place. It's more than just car storage. They have state-of-the-art wash facilities. When you bring your car back to get stored, swapping cars, you're going to have Ryan in there getting down and dirty, scrub-a-dub, the whole (laughs) thing, man. I mean, this is no joke. We're not just talking about a place, a barn, a garage to throw your car. This is not a U-Haul storage facility, baby. This is the real deal. These people look after your shit and they know their shit. This is this, the people who are moving your cars around are people who are experienced. They're not Joe Schmoes that are jumping in like a valet for the first time getting into your classic thing. And if they don't know, they're going to ask you questions. They will know, though, because they've literally driven everything. Um, that's that's what's crazy is that I think I've driven everything. You talk to like Edwin and Sean, they've driven everything. So have no fear about whatever you're bringing in and out of here and they'll take good care of you. They'll, they'll keep you going and they'll make sure that your car is inspected. And that's, what's funny is the one car I don't have inspected right now is the car that I don't store here yet. (laughs) So anyway, my, my battery is about to die. Thank you guys so much for listening and supporting. Please support on Patreon. If you've got a couple bucks, this is not making me any money, but you know, afford us beer. Yeah. Afford me a beer. Come on, man. Anyway, we will see you in the next one. Thank you. And goodbye.